let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the so that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say, as I do every single week, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 19. Today's hug, understanding PTSD. I am Dr. Tammy West, and I am here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. This week, I am so excited to bring you a conversation I have been looking forward to for a long time. It's taken us a bit to coordinate our schedules. My good friend for almost 20 years. Now, listen, in the beginning of our conversation, I said 25, but I guess that's just how much I just love this woman. Um, So my good friend, uh, Michelle Kixmiller, is talking with me on today's show about this issue of PTSD. So I'm going to read you her bio, and then we are just going to jump right into the conversation. Michelle Kixmiller is a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and licensed educator. She works with children and adults with mental health needs, including, listen to this, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, ADHD, autism, schizophrenia, and obsessive compulsive disorder. She works with a lot of people and helps a lot of people. Michelle served as a public school teacher and science department chair for over a decade when a family tragedy pulled her in a different direction. And she is going to tell you more about that during our conversation. She went back to school to become a registered nurse, graduating and gaining experience as a critical care nurse at a level one regional burn center prior to completing a graduate degree to become a mental health nurse practitioner. Her vision is holistic care through teamwork to create a more peaceful school environment for students and staff alike. No one should have to struggle alone. I love that she puts that in her bio. Michelle currently works full-time for a nonprofit community mental health center at an outpatient clinic. She works PRN, which if you don't know means as needed, for an inpatient crisis stabilization unit. And when she's not at work, she loves spending time with family, traveling, watching movies, not scary ones, running slowly, she says, and CrossFit. I bring to you... Michelle Kixmiller. I think the best way to kind of let people know why we are working together, why we are friends, why we stayed connected is to kind of talk about our history together. So I already read your bio and people have already heard that you and I have known each other for, I think it's been almost 25 years because we, I taught for 10 and I've been gone for 13, almost 14. So we've known each other for a while. Um, but but no one has any, well, why, other than what was in your bio, can you, can you just share a little bit of your path that caused you to, or not caused you, but contributed for you, to your switch from, okay, okay, I'm going to teach in the classroom, and now I'm going to be a psychiatric nurse practitioner, or just your path, you know, your history, what's, what, what happened? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I, I think that, you know, we talked together for a long time, I started teaching in 2001 with you, I think, and so, um, you know, loved teaching, but like through the course of that, um, my younger brother 
died from an alcohol related accident. And, um, of course I was greatly impacted, heartbroken by that. Okay. What and, year was that, Michelle? Cause I mean, I they, remember what year was that? Do you he remember? died in 2005. Okay. 2005. Yeah. June 6, 2005. Um, so wow. the anniversary of that's actually coming up here in a few days, but, um, so, and really like having watched him struggle since about age, you know, 13, he had struggled for, um, really over it for about 12 years. He'd struggled for about 12 years, started mm-hmm. out with really severe depression and, you know, us being in from a pretty small town and this was, you know, a long time ago and, so there was a lot of stigma surrounding mental health care at that time. And you just didn't have access to mental health care at that time, kind of like you do now. And, and if you did, it was just kind of um, stigmatized, really. And so you still kind of kept it secret, right? I mean, sometimes you just, you didn't freely talk about it. Even no, I mean, I don't think that the word depression, when it came to describe him, ever even came up. Like, I recognize it now, but I don't think back then you know, with all the stuff going on, I don't think anyone ever, you know, looked at him and said, oh, you know, he's really depressed. Really? It, no, it just wasn't in the vocabulary. Wow. And, um, I mean, it just, it wasn't talked about. And so he did want a lot of, um, young people in his, like, experiencing what he was experiencing did, he turned to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Even, like, probably age 14 like I would say I really saw signs of depression 12 13 and 13 14 is when he started drinking did you know like how old were you did you did you know about the alcohol use and you suspected things were going on or oh so I knew um I wouldn't say I knew right away but I knew fairly quickly because I was 17 18 and um you know, he, he would talk about it. I mean, it wasn't, mm-hmm. and again, you're, you're kind of talking about a, at a time when, you know, there was, there was a lot of that going on, even like among like his age group and especially with his, his kind of group of friends. Mm-hmm. So he, he would talk about it and I mean, it was known, but again, I think it was, it was handled a little bit differently than probably what it would be handled today. And so he, um, by the time he was probably 17 or 18, he himself would have told you that he was an alcoholic, that he drank, he drank a lot, and he really wasn't really able to stop drinking on his own. Hmm. And so, like I said, he, um, the summer before, he was actually scheduled to, he had one more semester left of college, he had gone back to college after taking some time off and he was scheduled to graduate that December and he died. It was an alcohol related fall. It wasn't a car accident, but he died in a fall. Um, that is so tragic. 2005. And so, well, and I say he died in a fall. So he um, had the accident and he was, he was at Vanderbilt over the weekend, um, but he, he did not recover from that. So, and just um, that of course was something that had a, a huge impact on me. Yeah, And um, at that time, of course, you know, you and I knew each other through that time as well, you know, that I, that he had passed away. Um, I had gotten married really young and was going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. So I had quite a few things, you know, myself going on. And I decided at that time 
um, to go to therapy. And I think actually the person I saw, if I remember correctly, was recommended by you. And she's yes. like a, a wonderful, yes. wonderful person. And um, I got so much like healing and freedom from that. I mean, I really still consider that, that like the best thing I ever did for myself. And um, that's kind of what started me. I mean, and I love teaching, but I just kind of felt in a different, like led to go in a different direction. And um, that's kind of what started the path here with being a mental health nurse practitioner. And I think, I think it's a good point here to make too, that you, for anyone out there who's considering therapy that, you know, you got to find, you need to find a therapist that you feel comfortable with. And um, I know Mary was, and she's actually passed away since. Um, yes. She, for me, she was wonderful because she was a great balance between like trying to dig into my past and spend time figuring out why I was having the problems I was having, but also giving me like concrete tips for things that I could like go home and do that day with my kids or do that day with, you know, my scheduling, whatever it was. I mean, so, but I had tried a therapist before who said to me, oh, you're having panic attacks over taking a teaching job. Well then uh, don't take the job. I mean, it was like, what? That's your advice? So, I mean, sometimes people give up on therapy too quickly, I think, because they just, they just need to find somebody who really can help them and connect with them. Do you think? I mean, oh, I think, yes, I think that is absolutely true. And, and like, and in just in like finding something that works for you in general, therapy works, you know, I found it to be great, but there are lots of different options mm -hmm. that, that work and um, like trying until you find the thing that works for you and I know in therapy like the relationship like you said is really important but there's like lots of different options maybe we can um Michelle if you can help me with this we can post could we post some sort of a link in the show notes to a place where they might be able to sort of read if they want to on some therapy options or is that yeah, yeah absolutely okay okay and and, you know, both of us, Michelle and I don't think we really knew early on that our paths were going to stay as connected as they are. And we had some similar backgrounds with our, with our moms and just our mental health histories. Um, so we, and I'll post this in the show notes too. I think this is a good time to mention we have started a mental health program at this point that we're targeting schools, like teachers and ancillary staff, anybody who, who deals with kids. And the great thing about our relationship is Michelle um, addresses the needs of the student and I address the needs of the teacher or cafeteria worker or bus driver or counselor, whoever it is. And we try to blend because what we're doing in this world when it comes to schools is we're telling teachers and staff, oh, you need to do this for the kids and you need to do that and you need to say this, but we aren't addressing their needs. And then we aren't always giving them very practical ways to help these kids. So we'll, we'll put that information in the show notes. So if, if that's anything you're interested in, we might expand, right, Michelle, to, um, yeah, 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 other yeah absolutely. Things. Um, but our paths have, have led us and, and today we're specifically talking about PTSD and I wanted you to kind of, uh, both of us have talked about things like stigma and misunderstanding the word. I mean, do you, why do you think this is such a timely topic like today to talk about out of everything we could have chosen um, what is it about PTSD that speaks to you? I think that like trauma it is like an underlying health crisis. I, I really do 
believe that there are several articles kind of that talks about the same thing in terms of it's causing a lot more damage in terms of physical health, um, mental health, of course, we mm-hmm. know than um, people really realize. And so like PTSD, and we were going to talk about trauma, but, you know, PTSD is something that we've heard more about in the news, post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, good. I was, I was about ready to say, I'm guessing everyone knows what it means, but maybe not. <laughs> right. I mean, and what it is like in, for, we're going to talk a little bit about like the different, um, symptom categories and so forth. We're not going to go real heavy in, like, I'm not going to read you the DSM-5. Oh, thank you. Yes, for the criteria of PTSD, but like to have a diagnosis of PTSD, first of all, there has to be some symptoms that are causing you like daily or significant discomfort in everyday life. Some Mm -hmm. things are, are valid in terms of causing you problems. And like it, in order to have the diagnosis, you have to have experienced either a traumatic event yourself or a loved one's experienced a traumatic event, or it could be um, several different events that have kind of like added up over time that have um, caused some trauma. And there's no real like criteria or indicator of of who's going to get PTSD and who's not over what event. And so uh, that makes sense. Well, it does. And actually, do, I mean, do you mind if I, I'm not sure if you know this about me when it comes to my PTSD diagnosis. Can I share that with you and kind of get oh, yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, when you just said that, there's not really an indicator of who's going to respond to what type of event. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you do, I mean, you know about the mental hospital and anybody who's listening, they know because of the intro, but my my diagnoses were anxiety disorder, which of course completely makes sense. Panic disorder, of course, I knew that makes sense. Depression, eh, I don't think I necessarily recognize depression as much, but yes. But the PTSD, I don't talk about as much um, because it seems almost like maybe embarrassing. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but like I'm watching the news over the past couple of days and these people in Virginia Beach were part of this horrific event of this shooter. And is it 11 people or however many were killed and then there was a shootout with the police officer and they're just at work right I mean they're just at work experiencing their day well then you can easily look at these people and and imagine the possibility of developing PTSD war veterans right people who've been through horrific things um, physical um, abuse or rape or any of that stuff me my PTSD was a result of being publicly criticized in the classroom while I was student teaching twice. Okay, so the, the teacher actually scolded me and reprimanded me and told me that I had no initiative, that I wasn't as good as the other student teacher in the classroom in front of all the students. To me, that seems ridiculous that I couldn't cope with that any better. Um, and I'm not sure I've even let go of that today. It's like PTSD over that. So is that kind of what you're saying, that, it, that it's not necessarily about the event? Absolutely. It's not necessarily about the event. event. And like, you know, for everyone that's, that's read your book and, you know, that's heard your story, you know, there are, even though there's no way to know who will develop PTSD and who will not, there are some things that can kind of predispose us. And one being kind of exposure to traumatic events earlier in life and you know 
I've read your book and I've heard your story and, and like some of the things you experienced as a child, they were traumatic. Hmm. And so, so, so it wasn't just being in that classroom. I would say not. I would say not like, you know, social support is supposed to be a protective factor for developing PTSD, mm. but like exposure to prior trauma is like a, a factor that could contribute to the development of PTSD. It's why like um, trauma nurses or first responders, you know, they can, they're exposed to all these traumatic things over and over again. And then one might happen that they feel like they've developed PTSD from that they don't even feel like is as significant as some of the other things that they've experienced. But yeah. it's that kind of, you know, accumulation of all of these different traumatic events. Well, that makes sense. But that, that leads me because you just said they might think that they have it and I was diagnosed with it. Let's talk about it for a minute. Like, what is it? Or how is it diagnosed? You said you were going to talk a little bit about categories. or Because we, mm -hmm. do you, you and I have talked about this too. I think we either overuse or misuse or misunderstand like lots of different mental health terms. And I have a feeling, by the way, Michelle doesn't know I'm going to ask her this, but we may want to do this as like a series. Um, maybe not next week, but um, there's many other things that we have that we could talk about if she wants to. But anyway, no pressure. Um, but, <laughs> okay. So what is it? Talk okay. a little bit about it. Yes, of course. You're so today we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, and we kind of went over, like, one of the things has to be, like, a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. But there's actually four what are called symptom categories or clusters. And the first one we're going to talk about is there has to be at least one symptom from a category called reoccurrence. And so what that looks like is um, there has to be either intrusive thoughts. And that means like thoughts about the tra that traumatic event pop back in your head when you don't want them to, you're trying not to think about it, but mm -hmm. they pop back in your head. Um, nightmares. So it, it could be out of the blue. You're saying it's it doesn't... out of the blue. You're at Walmart and something about that traumatic event pops in your head. Comes back. And um, I'm sorry, let me stop for one second to make, because somebody I can imagine would be sitting there trying to take notes. Can we post anything like in the show notes? Like, in, oh, sort yeah. of, okay, so we'll post um, kind of what Michelle's going over. We'll put that in the show notes so you don't have to necessarily write all this down. We'll have it for you. Okay, so the, the thoughts. And then um, another one in that category could be nightmares. You have nightmares about that traumatic event and it looks a little bit different in, in small children small children they just have nightmares about really scary things it doesn't necessarily have to be the traumatic event so they might not tell you oh. that it's about that trauma but um, for adults it, it is often like you're having nightmares about whatever that was that that happened um, a, a third thing in that category that could be and again only one of these um, has to be present it's called flashbacks and it's where you have kind of a moment and they call it dissociation but you have a moment where you feel like you are right back in the middle of that trauma you feel like you've kind of like stepped out of where you are and you are right back I mean I've heard people talk about hearing screams at that moment like that they heard like during that traumatic event a very kind of scary unpleasant wow. feeling but flashbacks um, physical reactivity if you're exposed to something that reminds you of that trauma, like for example, um, if you're standing in Walmart and someone starts screaming and you, your stomach starts hurting or your blood pressure goes up or, you know, something that you have an, a physical response greater than what you really think you should have, but it's because whatever happened reminds you of that traumatic event. Okay. 
So like one of any of those, so that's the first one, it's a reoccurrence. The second one is avoidance. So avoidance can look like a lot of different things, but like, you know, maybe you avoid a smell that reminds you of that trauma. Maybe you avoid a place that makes you think of that trauma, a person that makes you think of that trauma. And um, you quit your teaching job. <laughs> because Exactly. Because that's, that's a sorry, perfect example. I'm processing all this in light of my own life, people. I'm sorry, but th- you're doing it too. You all know you're doing it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a perfect example. Um, and like one of the things kind of what I've heard very often and, you know, again, this is something we'll talk about probably on another day, but like childhood sexual abuse, you know, is way, way more common than I had realized before I started the job I'm doing now. And so like people talk a lot about like avoiding things that remind them of that person like smells or, you know, even people with personalities that remind them of that person. So just kind of avoiding anything to trigger thoughts about that trauma. Okay. So that was our, was that three? And it's, so that's, you only have to have one from that category as well. So that's two different categories. The third category is kind of negative alterations in mood. Like you just kind of have a negative affect, have a lot of trouble feeling happy, not really interested in things that you used to be interested in. You feel really isolated and alone. Um, not really able to recall as much about the traumatic event as what you would like. You have kind of overly negative feelings or thoughts about yourself or about the world. And you kind of have an exaggerated sense of blame for yourself Mm -hmm. or for others. And you only have to have two from that category. And then the fourth one is just, um, it's called the reactivity category. And this is one that I think people kind of do associate with PTSD because it's where like irritability and aggression comes in. And so people do, don't they? We see like, I'm sorry, but when you watch, um, like I do love Grey's Anatomy. I've I've watched it for a long time. And the, one of the doctors on there was a war veteran. And the thing that they typically show the most about with his PTSD is the kind of the anger behavior or. um, Right. Especially with males. I mean, that just seems to be like, okay. But with females as well, like you become like when someone becomes irritable, like you can go from zero to 200. And generally people tell me, I know I shouldn't have got that angry that quickly, but it's part of of the PTSD. I mean, it's not something that they're consciously, consciously doing. Um, An exaggerated startle response um, falls under this category. Someone walks in the room and might say hello and you jump like way higher than Um, what the Mm -hmm. average person would do difficulty concentrating difficulty sleeping um kind of riskier or destructive behavior and you have to have kind of two from that category as well so i mean fairly complex like it is diagnostic criteria that when we just kind of like briefly went over it it's kind of complex but still like if these things are happening and they are causing significant distress in your life then kind of that's when we're talking about an actual diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. It's not one of those things you can just do a blood draw. Right. Not at all. And and who diagnoses it, Michelle? Would it be like a medical doctor, uh, you, psychiatric nurse practitioner? Is it anyone 
that multiple people in the mental health field that can Multiple people could. The psychiatric nurse practitioner, um, a medical doctor, psychiatrist, um, psychologist, um, therapist. I mean, there are multiple people that could make that diagnosis. Wow. Generally, like with primary care, like most of the time, like they will diagnose it and they may do a referral out because we're not talking about treatment yet, but therapies are really, you know, key part of treatment for PTSD. Do you, do you want to talk about, I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about, you know, just on a generic sort of show like this. Um, do you want to mention anything about treatment or do you want to just say that there are multiple treatments and, you know, seek your medical professional or what do you think? I mean, I think that we can talk about um, a couple of different treatment options and then definitely post some things in the show notes about, you know, further about where you can find different treatments and so forth. And so like PTSD is normally treated with um, therapy and there's a couple of different types, Um, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's very important, just like what you said earlier, that you find someone that it's the right relationship with, Mm -hmm. um, someone you feel comfortable with. some people do choose medication in addition to therapy. Really, medication alone has not been, there's no research to indicate that that is like best practice for treatment of PTSD. Okay. Best practice is really like resolving it through therapy. I think that, you know, is, that is such an important part because you and I both, I mean, you as a, as a psychiatric nurse practitioner and me as, as just a former, you know, person who has struggled and still does sometimes with mental health issues that medication can be life-saving but it is a little scary sometimes when there's for things like this when there's no therapy to go along with it it just probably isn't going to give you the lifetime results that you want no no it won't I mean and it can only do so much Mm -hmm. and so like doing something to resolve those feelings is going to be best case. And there's more than one, like we said, there's more than one option, like in terms of like the two different types of therapy that I mentioned doing group therapy, if you know, that's a better option. There are even like, you know, different, you know, conferences and so forth. I say conference, but um, like workshops um, that people attend that they also feel like are huge in their recovery. So it's not one size fit all, fits all when it comes to recovering from something like this. And something that we didn't really um, mention before, but it's important to mention is kind of the difference between like acute stress disorder, which is something really traumatic happens and you're going to feel like say it's a car accident and maybe for a month after you have a difficult Um, time getting in a car. I haven't heard of that. Acute stress disorder. And and that's, it basically just means that something traumatic happens and you're going to have a reaction to that for a little bit. That's very normal. And it generally goes away after about a month. Like in order to have like a PTSD diagnosis, it has to have, have, these symptoms have to have stuck around for longer than a month. I did not know that. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, and like... It may not happen, PTSD might not happen right away, it might happen six months later, but in order for you to have that diagnosis, that it has to have happened for longer than a month. Gosh, that right there is huge. Um, I mean, it, 
is there other advice? I mean, I'm assuming part of your advice is going to be to, to seek help. Would you, is there anything else just for, you know, our general listeners? Um, and then actually, if you, once we're finished talking about this part, I'd also like to go on for a minute to talk about if you're in a relationship with someone who you okay. think might be battling that, but just for the, for the person then, is there any other tips or advice that you would give them? I think like just finding someone that you can talk to and it doesn't have to be a therapist to start out with. Oh, just finding someone to kind of talk about these feelings that you're having. Um, someone that you trust and then kind of go, go from there, but like developing a good support system around, around you. I think that that is like, you know, really important. Hmm. I, when I think for me, sometimes when I have people who are talking to me about serious issues in their life, I get, and this might be a good time to actually talk about the, the relationship with people who might be struggling. I feel very, um, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure and responsibility to talk to that person in, in a particular way or not to say the wrong thing. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about, well, a couple of things, here are a couple of things that come to mind and you can talk about them however you want to. The first thing is if I have a friend, like you're just saying, have a support network. So if I have a friend who is sharing things with me about a trauma, um, maybe just some advice for what I might do for that person. And the second thing is sometimes it can be, and I've heard this from people, again, we overuse some of another word. What made me think of us doing further podcasts is we always hear people talk about someone being bipolar. And I think, you know, in, a, in this, just this generic, no, they're not bipolar. Why are you using that word? You know, that's a, that's a diagnosis. But how do we, sometimes we feel frustrated with people in our worlds um, if they say that they're having PTSD and you think, no, they don't. They're just using that as an excuse to avoid the world. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what yes, about, yes. how do I, how do I, how do people stop feeling that way or should they feel that way? Or I don't know. I asked you a whole lot of things in a short period of time. You know, <laughs> I think you know good, me. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you asked a lot of good questions right there. <laughs> Sorry. Whichever you want to address. I think that like, so let's start out by saying that like, if you're the friend that someone calls and they kind of start talking about some things, they, they realize that something has happened and it's causing them more trouble than what they had, had thought it was. And okay. they're ready to start working on that. Just, be a good listener like they're not really calling you for you to fix them and like even even someone that's in the mental health field is not gonna like fix something in a you know one telephone conversation you I mean they they just need a good listener okay and so just kind of being there and like helping them like if they do like they're looking for resources and they ask you to kind of help look around for that then I mean that's just kind of a good place to start in okay. terms of like, and you kind of brought up a good point as well about um, mentioning feeling like they're using it to avoid the world. I mean, you've heard and that, right? Yes. Yeah. And it kind of comes from like, it's a question that if you, it sounds like there's like some frustration behind the, the question, like, you know, if your loved one is not kind of living the life that you want for them, or maybe you've invested a lot of time listening, which is, you know, 
a valid thing too. You know, the person has called you 10, 15, 20, 30 times. Just to be fair, let's stop for a minute though. This is, we're not talking about me. There's none of you out there who are my friend <laughs> who have called me and I'm like, <laughs> just, just to be clear. <laughs> Go ahead, Michelle. I mean, if, and no, I mean, I, but if that, <laughs> all my means, friends out there are going, oh, I'm not going to call her again. <laughs> no, it's, it's like a, a valid question. Like if, you know, you feel like, is this person, you know, does this person really yeah. want to get help or get better? Yeah. That is something yeah. you hear. You do. But at the, at the same time, it's like thinking about like the frustration behind that question. It's like, why are you frustrated? Are you frustrated because you feel like they should be doing more? Mm. You know, why aren't they doing more? Like one of the things to understand with diagnosis like PTSD is it can be a very like, debilitating diagnosis and it can make someone feel like they live in this box and that there's not a way out of the box. And even though you may see a way out for them, they don't see it. I don't. And they feel like kind of life in that box is just the way it's going to be. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this before or actually ever said it on a, on a show or anything, but I found out years later after my struggle, the hospitalization, trying to recover the years prior where honestly, Michelle, I probably was the person who was making the phone calls and not getting better. I probably was, but I found out years later that I lost a friend and she was just like, I could not help you. And I just didn't understand. She said that I didn't understand how you could not get past these things. So, you know, it, for, for those of us, and now that I I'm past that, I think I want to keep that compassionate side of myself too. Um, in the future, if I have to have these types of conversations. So I love the way that you worded that. Like we might, as the friend of that person, see a way out and it seems so logical. And that's what people would say to me. It seems so logical. Even the therapist, you said, well, don't take the job. It seems so logical, but it did not work that way. Right. It's, it's feelings. I mean, especially when we're talking about PTSD today, but like, you know, we talked about the symptom category where, you know, someone felt very isolated or just mm -hmm. didn't have the motivation to get out and do things. I mean, so this is a part of that diagnosis and, you know, you want very much for them to live the life they want to live, but that is a process and that requires like some recovery time. And so like, it's, it's valid to kind of ask yourself, like, am I doing things that is, enabling that person not to seek help and that's you know the case in a lot of different areas but you know other than that you know I think well, looking at it with compassion is kind of the best case here's what I take away from that for me in the future if I am talking with someone and and even beyond PTSD it's not really my job to judge whether or not they can see the logical solution that I see, that's really not my call. Right. Right. And I think like realizing that like the only person in the world who we can really control like what they do or don't do is ourselves and, mm. you know, getting frustrated at someone because they're not doing what you think they should do generally does not get them to do what you want them to do. That is generally, true it just causes more frustration. So kind of realizing that, you know, this person 
is not at a place where they're they're gonna do this mm-hmm. right now and I'm going to be here for them in a way that I feel like is healthy mm-hmm. and you know at a point where it's not healthy for me I'm, I'm going to have to step away from it mm. well and I'll tell you those who are, are listening just um, Michelle has been such a great resource to me too and I've learned so much from you Michelle I had Um, I won't give the details, but I had a woman reach out to me on Facebook a few years ago with some pretty serious emotional issues. And I, I had only met her once and um, I called Michelle and she just really gave me that kind of same advice. You know, this is just, this is, this would be a good thing to tell her. And she helped guide me through that conversation to have with this person who was having these really deep um, emotional struggles. So I really appreciate that. I feel like your path um, I know as a teacher, your heart was just way, way deep for these students and just watching your path from, from teaching them to, and, and now even in your practice, you, you see students and young people and I, you're just changing the world and I just appreciate everything you're doing. So thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other Um, Last words for those who might be struggling or those who might be with someone who's struggling. I mean, I can't imagine you would have anything more amazing than what you've said, but I don't want to not give you that opportunity. Any other thoughts? I think just kind of that, you know, there's, there's hope. There's always hope and kind of just hold on to that. Oh, thank you. Well, I hope that we will do this again. I didn't mean to put you on the spot earlier about that, but um, we will talk when we're not here live with these people. Well, not live, but you know what I mean? And, um, we'll see about some future topics. <laughs> yeah. That'd be bad if it was live. Uh, well, thank you, Michelle. And we will talk soon. Yeah, thank you. And that's our time for today. I'm sorry. It was so short. Uh, one thing Michelle asked me to, to tell you, um, in regards to why this topic is so important, we just forgot to talk about it in our conversation is the increased suicide risk for those who suffer with PTSD. So I truly hope that you learned something today. I hope that you will pass the show link along to a friend or two, especially if they or someone they know is suffering. If you have questions for Michelle, please leave a comment on the show notes or you can send me an email. I'll make sure she'll get those. Also in the show notes, you'll find all the promise information and links from Michelle. And you can get info if you would like for me to speak at your next event at TammyWest.com. The monthly giveaway will still come from leaving a comment on the blog. And May's winner is Shirley Moore. Yay, Shirley. So I will send you a message and I will get your information so I can send you a Consider Yourself Hugged t-shirt. Thank you so much for listening. It truly means a lot to me. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.